2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I'd like to speak to you guys uh, today on the subject of the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ. I wanted to read the context here, um, not because I'm ta- uh, not because I want to talk about money today, um, but. As you see, Paul's urging these Corinthians to complete the beginning of what they'd started to give monetarily uh, to these, these needs of these other saints. And in doing so, he doesn't say, um, you know, well, this is the law, this is what you've got to do. In doing so, he gives the motivation for why, sh- why they should do this out of sincerity of heart from love. And the motivating factor he gives um, is verse 9, which um, I think is one of the most glorious excellent summations of the gospel I've seen in all the word of God and I actually felt pretty overwhelmed before sharing this just because not because I'm terribly afraid of speaking in front of people but just because it's so glorious I mean if we could really see what's being said here Um, but let's just read verse 9 one more time that's going to be our text for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And I've got, I've got four headings um, just to break down this verse that I want us to consider. First one, that Christ from eternity past was immeasurably and infinitely rich. Second, that he became poor. Third, implied in the verse is that we are naturally not rich. We are spiritually impoverished and have nothing. And lastly, he, he became poor in order to accomplish the ends that we might be spiritually rich. So it's the gospel I want to share with you today. So our first heading, Christ was rich. What, what does this mean? What does this mean that Christ um, was rich? Another way we could, we could ask it is, what, what did Christ give up when he came to this world? Whenever, what, in the events of his life in this world, what did he sacrifice? What did he give up? And um, I thought of a few things, um, but the first one I thought of was that from eternity past, Christ only knew the eternal, loving embrace of his Father. It says, it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. In his very essence, in his very nature, he's love. And from eternity past, 
the Father beheld the Son, and the Son beheld the Father in the fullness of the Spirit, and there was only an unbroken communion of love. I mean, if you guys consider in your own lives, even, even the unbelieving world, they know something of how powerful love is. There's millions of songs written about it. There's millions of shows made about it. And, I mean, just from another human being to experience love is a powerful thing. But, I mean, if you're a Christian here today, consider the most powerful experience you've ever had personally um, with the love of God. I mean, it's, it's almost beyond believable. But Christ only experienced this from eternity past forever in the presence of God. He was infinitely rich. Consider this. He knew nothing of the frailties of having a human body. Have you, have you ever considered that? He says in John 17 when he's praying to his Father, he says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus claimed that he existed before the world, before this world was ever created, and he existed with God as a spirit. God is spirit. And um, he never knew anything of pain or of having a body or of um, taking on matter. He was just God from eternity past. He was infinitely, immeasurably rich. As God, um, he was in need of nothing. There was, there, was, there was no body there. There were no physical needs because he was God. He, he could say with the Father, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could make for me? Where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being. He didn't need anything. He was the creator. He was, he was the uncreated one and still is. Consider this. He dwelt in a place from eternity past where he was only treated as he ought to be. I mean, every day, all day, every day, he was the subject of angels' songs, their praise, their highest adoration, their worship. Um, he, he was the only topic of conversation between cherubim and seraphim. There was, there was nothing else. He, he was treated as he ought to be, as God. He was worshipped as he ought to be from, from eternity past. They, day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's all he ever heard in the presence of his Father, in the presence of his holy angels. He was immeasurably and infinitely rich. But our text says, um, Yet for your sake he became poor. This is the state he was in from all eternity past, and it says he became poor. Um, turn with me here. Uh, to a familiar verse, Philippians chapter 2, well-known verses, and starting in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he was, he was in that brightness, in that glory. He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to it. But emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." The, the entire life, what, what he says is he, be, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. The entire life of Christ 
was one of continually becoming poorer and poorer and humbling himself to greater and greater degrees. Our text is true. It says that says he became poor. Imagine this. Imagine the shock of every angel in heaven when word got out that the Son of God was going to leave heaven. When they first heard that he was going to enter into this world, that all they ever heard of was that there's this world down there, and it's, it's full of rebellious and lawless people, full of bloodshed and murder and gossip and slander, full of every sort of self-centeredness and unclean thing. And they were to, they were to hear, you're, you're going to do what? You're, you're going to enter in? The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, is going to become incarnate and live among these people? What, what is going on? What, what, is, what is this strange thing that's about to happen? That, that, Christ, that Christ would come to earth. That He would enter into flesh. I mean, can, let's, let's just take a brief scan, just a run through of His life. Consider His birth. There was no room for Him at the end. You've got a scared husband and a woman that's in labor pains and they're in a cattle stall. There's no, there's no room for the one that created the heavens and the earth that fills all in all. There's no room for him at the end. And he, you know, we tend to idealize the, the scene. You know, you, you sing the Christmas songs, you know, the cattle are, are mooing or whatever, and, you know, the no crying the baby's making. But there's a Christian rap song that I like, and uh, he mentions, he says, the scene born next to feces piles, the, fe- the scene was foul. It was, it was foul. You mean, you tr- I mean, what is it like to go inside of a barn? I mean, how, I'm not a parent, but I, I don't know about you. I wouldn't have, choose to have my child um, next to feces piles in a barn. But you're, we're not talking about some prince that's being born. We're talking about the living God being born in this world, and there was no room for him in the end. In, in the end. No doctors. No doctors around. It's like you've got this massive Roman Empire full of power and might. You've got these, this massive religious order of the day. And then quietly, in the backside of nowhere, in a little town of Bethlehem, a, a, child, a child is born. <laughs> and uh, the government will be on his shoulders. <laughs> Consider this, his childhood and growing up. The one, it says, who opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Now, now, one day without his mother's milk, he'll die. You're talking about the one that fed the cattle on a thousand hills. And now without his own mom's milk, he'll, he'll die. He'll die just like the rest of us. Consider the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, trying several times to pronounce a word in Aramaic. I mean, the condescension that God would truly become a man. The one who ruled over every principality and power and glory over every archangel, he's now submitting, perfectly submitting, that is, to fallible yeah. earthly parents that make sinful decisions sometimes. Yeah. Perfectly submitting to it. He became poor. Consider his public ministry. The one who never hungered, fasting for 40 days. The one, the one who dwelt in inapproachable light now under the darkness of demonic temptation before he begins his public ministry, under these accusations, under, under these demonic tortures of Satan trying to, trying to throw him off course. The one who only heard angels' praises, now being called by the religious elite a demon and insane. He said, he, said these, he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. It's incredible. The Son of God. 
He became poor. Consider him in his, his aloneness. There, no one understood um, what, what Christ was going through at any point in his life. They didn't know behind the scenes what was going on, the things that he was experiencing. You know, when I went to China, um, I thought, man, you know, you can't understand someone's language. You, you tend to think, oh, they're pretty nice people. They're pretty great or whatever. You know, I mean, you, you can't understand a word they're saying. But I came back into America, and I'm in the airport, and it's immediately I can start understanding what everyone's saying around me, all the sin and all the cursing and all the bitterness. What was it for him to first be around that? I mean, to, to be around sin. He lived, he dwelt among sinners and loved them. He was homeless. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's incredible. The Son of God. Consider his last days. His, his, his own disciples forsook him for sleep in the garden. He's in agony, sweating drops of blood, praying to God that he might not have to drink this cup that his father's going to give to him, saying, not my will, but yours be done. Consider, consider him being kissed by an intimate friend, um, by, his own, by his own friend, whom he willingly chose with knowledge of what he was going to do. See him rejected by his own people there in the, in the Jewish ruling council. He came to his own, and his own received him not. See him mocked and beat, have a crown of thorns shoved in his skull and bowed down to by pagan Roman soldiers, godless to the nth degree. I mean, no, no one knows what it is. I mean, even if there were no spiritual sufferings that Christ experienced on this cross, the physical sufferings alone... I mean, the humiliation, what, just as who he is, what he went through. No one's gone lower than, than he has. He was nailed to a cross under, under a, a black sky, incessantly mocked. I mean, the abuse was hurled at him over and over again. If you are the Son of God, come down from there. He saved others, let him save himself. Every, every sort of accusation against who he is. Hear him cry out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah. This is the one that only knew the loving embrace of his Father, the fullness of his presence, and now, because of what he did on that cross, bearing sins, he's, he's crying out forsaken. See him breathe his last, bearing all the weight of divine justice, all, all the wrath of God that sinful men deserve, that you and I deserve. Friends, there's no one that's been higher and there's no one that's gone lower than, than Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the question is, why? Why, why, why Jesus? Why, why, did, why did you do this? To what end? Why, why was this necessary that you should undergo all of these things? And our answer's in the text, isn't it? It says that though He is rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. He did so because man in his natural state is spiritually impoverished. I mean, isn't that true? Since the fall of Adam, I mean, one sin in the entire human race was cast out of fellowship from the presence of God under the domain of a new master, under the domain of Satan, under the domain of sin. And um, man is spiritually impoverished, not only because sin rules and reigns and dictates his life and controls his passions and his appetites. He's, he's poor because of what's going to await him because he's a sinner. 
because of condemnation, because of guilt before a holy God, because of the wrath of God. That's, that's the condition of every person outside of Christ. Some people, um, you can look at them, and you can just see the poverty there. I mean, you can see you can see it in their face. They're empty. They're dead. They're lifeless. I mean, just go sometime. Go into Walmart and just sit down on the bench and just people watch and just look at them and watch them interact. Husbands and wives and parents with children. Watch them interact with one another, and you'll see the poverty. I mean, you, you some people you go outside. Their lawns a mess. There's junk everywhere, and you hear people screaming inside, and the children are all running around and. And there's tattoos covering their body, and you can see, man, you, it's evident. Like, this person is spiritually poor. Or you hear about these prostitutes in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you just have to look at them, and you can see. You can see it with your own eyes. Man, these people are spiritually poor. But I, I'd like to speak a word particularly if you're here today and you're lost, and you know you're lost. This is a terrifying thought. Sin, sin is so terrifying because it's deceitful. You, you can think that you're doing okay and not be. And not be at all. In fact, be just the exact opposite. You can think everything's fine in my life, but everything is not okay. It's not fine. In fact, you, you might have heard um, about unreached people groups. You've heard about cannibalism, and you think to yourself, man, like that is, that is just awful. You know, I mean, that's terrible. People eating one another, like... That's just so degraded. Those people are so evil. Like, surely God's, they've got it coming. I mean, God's going to judge those people. Or you hear about people like, like Hitler or etc. And you think, man, those, those people have something coming for them. Those are some terrible people. Those people are spiritually poor. But, but have you considered this? If you're lost here today, and I, I say this with all love, that you may be in a far worse condition than the most heinous of cannibals. I'm telling you that I'm telling you the truth. The Bible, the God of the Bible, it says that His judgment is in accordance with truth. In Romans chapter two, that means there's no partiality. That means He judges according to truth. And angels might look upon cannibals and not be that shocked. I mean, they know this is a wicked world. They know it's full of sin, and men are doing evil things to each other all the time, trafficking and whatnot. But what they might be shocked at is to consistently and continually reject the Son of God. That might be a shocking thing to the angels of heaven. What would you think if one of your close friends were to come to you and said, this is my most prized possession. This is, this is the most valuable thing I have. It has such sentimental value to me since my childhood. I, I would give everything for this thing, and I, and I want to give it to you. And what would you think of the person that just kind of looked the other way and yawned? And then, and then walked away without even responding. That's, if you're lost here today, I don't care if you said yes to Jesus Christ with your mouth. If your life has not changed, you've consistently and continually said no to him in your heart. And if you've done so, you're, you are in a terrible, terrifying state. You're, you're spiritually poor beyond your wildest imaginations. You might think like the church and the congregation. There was a church just like us sitting there in, um, in, in the city of Laodicea that the book of Revelation, this letter was written to, you might think um, just like them, thinking I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. All the while Christ is saying to you, but you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor 
and blind and naked. That's, that's, that's your condition. It really is, if you're outside of Christ. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. But uh, if that's all I had to share, um, it would not be good news. But I want to leave that impression on you. If you're lost, don't play games with God. I mean, it, you've, heard, you've heard so much, so much truth. I mean, things to which angels long to look into, it says in Peter. And I mean, to reject that, to reject God's only son, to cut yourself off from it, that's terrifying. Don't, don't play games with him. Don't delay. Don't, don't put it off. He's, he's worth having. Even if he never gave you anything, you should give your life to him because he's worthy of it. The good news is, though, that you don't, you don't have to remain in that state if you're lost. And every Christian here can tell you they didn't remain in that state. The state of being spiritually impoverished, of wretched, and without money, without true riches. You don't have to remain in that state. Do you, do you believe that? I mean, if you're lost here today, do you, do you really believe that? That you could walk out of those doors forgiven of your sins? That God does that? I mean, He saves people. He's, he, Mike got up here and shared his testimony. He just saved him. I mean, out, out of the blue. They're, they're uh, meeting with Helene on that campus. God is the God of salvation. He saves people. You don't have to walk out of those doors the same as you've always been. It says in our text, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's not according to works. What, what, what do you think you could offer God? What do you think you could do for Him? It says, you know the grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You can't earn it. It's just given. It's freely bestowed. He did it in coming for you. It says in Zechariah, a fountain has been opened for sin and impurity. It's like this, this bubbling fountain. It's been opened wide when Christ died on that cross to cleanse people of their sins, to save people from their sin. It says in 2 Corinthians, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. The one who never knew sin, it says He took our sins, our guilt, upon Himself as a substitute for you that you might be right with God. You might have a right standing with Him. You, you might be poor. You might be dying of cancer. You might be 10,000 miles away from your nearest loved one. But if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, you're infinitely and immeasurably rich. You have riches that, if you're lost, your own parents or your own relatives, they have riches that you, you don't have any idea about if, if they have Christ. But if you don't have Christ, you're poor and wretched and blind and naked. You can't even see that that's your condition. But even, not even considering here and now, I mean, if all we ever had was our sins forgiven, we would have enough reason to sing forever. I mean, if, that, if that's the only blessing that were given to us in the gospel of Christ, we'd have, Asa always tells me this all the time, we'd have reason to sing forever <laughs> if our sins were forgiven. And um, not only that, you become a child of God. And, um, I mean, so many blessings, even here on the earth, just the joy of walking with God, of suffering with Christ, of of um, of just being with him here on this earth, that that's nothing. That's n- these riches. That's just the beginning. That's just the, a foretaste of the glory that's to be revealed in us. I mean, the things that are coming. I I was watching that Chronicles of Narnia uh, movie. Some of you kids may have watched it. Um, 
Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And uh, there's a scene there at the end, end of the movie where they're on the beach at the end of the world uh, with Aslan talking, and the mouse goes on, chooses to go to heaven willingly. And, um, but they're there, they're there at the end of the world on this beach, and it just got me thinking about what, what will it be when we first arrive on those celestial shores? I mean, when you take your first breath of a purer, sweeter air that you've never tasted before. <laughs> I mean, unlike anything that this world has ever known, what, what will it be when your own eyes see Jesus Christ, the one that you've loved and served, the one that's freely loved you and known? I mean, if you're a Christian, you have riches that the world does not know of. If you're not, you're lacking riches that the world does not know of, to know Christ. It says in Isaiah 35, they, they shall return with everlasting joy upon their heads, and sorrow and sighing will flee from them. That's ing- it's like where you, all throughout your Christian life, it's like sorrow and sighing. I mean, there's burdens, there's struggles. You've got lost kids, you've got lost family, you've got lost coworkers. There's, there's temptations against your flesh. There's demonic attacks upon you. It says, in this day, sorrow and sighing will just, it's like it'll just flee away from them. It's, it's gone. There's no more. It's, uh, the full consummation, entering into glory. That's, that's coming for you, if you know Christ. They shall return with everlasting joy upon their heads, and sorrow and sign will flee from them. I've got two applications here. Um, I read in a preaching book, it's bad if you don't have specific applications, but I don't, so I don't, I don't care, though. I couldn't think of anything. Um, the, the, first, the first application is this. If, if you do love Christ... And if you know Christ, I'm just, I'm not saying, I hope I have not said anything new today, but just to bring to your remembrance what it is that Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake, that you might be rich. There are riches in him and there are riches yet to come in knowing him and being with him forever. And so I just want to encourage you to worship God. I mean, press on to know the Lord, seek him. I mean, he's worth it. There's riches in him. And um, if you're lost today, why? I mean, why? Why, why, would you, why would you spend one more day turning aside Jesus Christ? I mean, you could try to act like I'm, a, I'm, I'm in with the church, but I mean, you know in your heart what's going on. Why, why would you remain outside of Jesus Christ one more day? It says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe that? You'll be saved if you call upon Christ. I mean, if you really look to Him, you know you need Him, Lord, I'm bankrupt. I don't have it together. I don't have my life together. I'm a mess. I need salvation. You have what I don't have. I'm looking to you. Save me. Deliver me. He'll do that. He'll, he will save you. It's an insult to him if you disbelieve him one more day. He will save you. He's promised. He's promised to save those that come unto him. I'll just read the verse one more time. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake, He became poor, so that you through His poverty, through what He's done on that cross, you might become rich. Amen.